Welcome to episode 498 with my guest, Jimmy Dore. This is a best of episode. It's a replay from our 15th episode recorded very, very early on um, in uh, 2011, our first year of doing the podcast. Uh, our sponsor for today, as always, is BetterHelp.com Online Therapy. Uh, I've been doing it for at least three years now, and I have a great relationship with my my counselor, Donna. She is wise and encouraging, and um, I have seen a lot of a lot of growth um, since I started seeing her. And I love not having to leave my house to do therapy. There's, there's something so awesome about that. So if you want to know more, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you came from this podcast. And then um, just fill out a questionnaire. And if they feel that they have a counselor that is a good fit for you, they'll match you up with one. And then you can experience a free week of counseling to see if, I don't know why I pronounce counseling like that, to see if uh, online counseling is right for you. And you need to be over 18. If you're between 13 and 17, they'll direct you to teencounseling.com where you can get your parents to give consent and, uh, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, without any further ado, here is that episode with Jimmy Dore. Welcome to episode 15 with my guest, Jimmy Dore. I'm Paul Gilmartin. This is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, an hour of honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions to everyday compulsive negative thinking, feelings of dissatisfaction, disconnection, and that vague sinking feeling that the world is passing us by. You give us an hour, we'll give you a hot ladle of awkward Nicky. But first, a few notes. Please visit the website. It's mentalpod.com. If you would follow me on Twitter, that would be awesome. Uh, my Twitter name is uh, mentalpod uh, as well. And uh, the fun thing about doing that is now when I'm interviewing somebody, I'm going to start tweeting, uh, asking you guys for your fears. So when I do a fear off with somebody, uh, I'll be able to use your fears and uh, compete against the person. That'd be pretty cool. I recorded this episode uh, with Jimmy Dore actually a couple of months ago before I started doing Fear Off, so unfortunately there's not one here. Take the survey on the website. That uh, helps me get to know you better. And uh, you can also look at the results and see how other people have responded. Uh, If you'd like to support the show non-financially, go to iTunes and give us a good rating. That helps boost our ranking and brings more people to the show, which we like. And speaking of the survey, in response to the question, if there is a God, what would you say to God? Uh, Responder number 614 on the survey said, man, did you fuck this one up? Everybody yeah. I know is bizarrely, beautifully fucked up in some weird way. I couldn't stand you in the audition. I couldn't stand yeah. you. Yes, yeah. awful. Yeah. I was drunk. And I learned that I could solve my problems. And said. Through violence, since I couldn't communicate. Lonely? Yes. I'm afraid that my genitalia is ugly. That's hurtful. And what was your role in the robbery? I mean, you never knew what you were going home to. I had a jar that had teeth in it. I was a wreck. Other people's teeth? Yeah. I'm here with a longtime friend, Jimmy Dore. Uh, I'm glad you could uh, find time in your busy schedule of uh, getting high and making fun of right-wing people to uh, to come. Uh, I make fun of left-wing people, too. Well, you do, too. You, you actually uh, get angrier at, uh, of at left-wing people. Uh, then. But this is the one thing that I do know about this podcast is I want it to be apolitical. So we're going to we're going to avoid talking about uh, that because uh, because mental illness crosses all boundaries. Jimmy. Well, um, okay. I mean, all art is political. 
even a decision to not be political is a political decision. Yeah, but my my I'm making a joke. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say my intention <laughs> isn't isn't necessarily to make art with the with this with this podcast. Okay. Uh, if it happens to be, that's awesome. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Um, oh, okay. So this is more of a news information. No, uh, it's more of a, just something that feels good to me and I hope feels good to other people and makes them feel less alone. Oh. That's kind of my, my, my hope. Okay. Um, I'm not really sure what it is. I'm kind of finding it as I, as I go. But uh, you and I have been honest with each other over the years. We've known each other 20 plus years and we've always been pretty honest with each other about uh, – what we're feeling about our foibles, our, our shortcomings, we, we make fun of each other, we make fun of ourselves, and you know, that's one of the reasons why I, I enjoy your friendship. Uh, you were sharing a story with me the other night as you and uh, your wife and I were walking to dinner, and uh, kind of, is, is there a way that you could give us a, a, a condensed version of this story? Because uh, I think it might be an interesting place to, to start. Well, I just talking about. I was talking about my neighborhood that I grew up in. That's the story you were talking about. No, the one uh, that happened a couple of days ago, and then we'll <laughs> and then we'll get to your and then we'll get to your uh, your oh, neighborhood because I think they're related. Uh, okay, uh, I, I was packing to come to this comedy festival, and I'm standing in my living room. I live in Pasadena, just uh, a couple of blocks up from uh, down from the Rose Bowl, mm -hmm. uh, right by the Ice House Comedy Club. Anyway, and so. Um, I look out my window and I see this guy just walk up my driveway, get in my car, open my passenger side door, and start going through my glove box. Mm -hmm. And so I didn't know what, uh, I, instead of just calling the cops, I guess that's what you're supposed to do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it just seemed silly. Like I was supposed to sit there and let this guy just go through my car and wait right. for someone else to show up. Right. It just seemed silly to me. So I went out there. I just went out there. Uh huh. I had, you know, those who, those who uh, fail to plan, plan to fail. And uh, <laughs> I did not go out there with a plan. Right. And um, I didn't know what to do. I, 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 I was just confronting him. So I come out. He sees me as I cross in front of the car, and he starts laughing. And he's about 25 years old uh, and about 6'2", 185. And uh, he starts to get out. He goes, he says, dude, I was just looking for a light. And then I, uh, so long story short, I... Uh, and what kind of what kind of uh, energy did you greet him with? I was swearing at the top of my lungs, and uh -huh. uh, you know what the f are you doing here? And you uh, can say fuck here. Oh, okay. Yeah. What the uh, what the fuck are you doing here? And uh, motherfucker, get out of my neighborhood! And he's like, oh, and I, uh, I went through his pockets to make sure he wasn't. And I was, you know, he had. He had a stolen st uh, CD player from somebody else's car. Did he have it? Yeah, and is he, well. You're assuming it was stolen, and I think most people probably agree. And yeah. Chances are, it was probably stolen if he's looking through yeah. through, he had through a that stuff. Driver, yeah, in his pocket, which that uh -huh. sounds. And he, he must not have been too hardened of a criminal because he's letting you go through his pockets. Yeah, he was letting me go through. I was really like, wow. I, I, there was part of me watching me do it, like, wow, you're pretty ballsy. What are you doing? But the other part of me was like, well. If you don't do this, you're some. What are you? Not you're a pussy. You're not protecting your house, and you're mm -hmm. not. You're gonna let this guy walk all over you. And mm -hmm. what are you doing? Well, you know, I, I forgot that you know I'm not the guy I was uh, five years, ten years ago, or even five years ago mm -hmm. when uh, I used to be strong, Jimmy. I used to be five, ten, hundred and eighty pounds myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, what some people would say that's overweight. I don't. I was very <laughs> happy. Look good in a suit. Yeah. And. Uh, so uh, I had. Uh, what, what, how would you describe yourself now? 
I would describe myself as shorter and skinny. Okay. I'm probably, uh, I was, I went from probably 5'10 to 5'8. Uh-huh. And, uh, <laughs> you, you had some issues with bone ge- degeneration yeah. that was really, really trying. I, yeah. I remember coming over to your, uh, apartment when you were in the worst of it and, uh, uh, it was it was uh it was hard to watch because you were in so much <laughs> mental and physical pain from this. It was unbelievable. I, I can't imagine how, what it, what it was like. You were in excruciating pain all the time, and they didn't know what was the matter with you. Yeah, well, they, they well th- that's the thing you find out that doctors will tell you th- th- they'll do three things. They'll they'll either tell you what they think you have. They'll guess, uh, and or they'll make something up. Right. Or they'll blame and t- tell you it's in your head. Right. So that's they'll 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 never they'll never just say I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. You should go see this guy. I don't know. They'll they'll and and I found that out. But you know you don't. So uh, anyway. So long story short. Again. Uh, so, so that's how you lost the two inches. Yeah. Of, yeah. Of, so of, I have of, had of some, And you now you have a little bit of arthritis. And, you don't move like you used right, to. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. So I don't. Yeah. I'm not myself. Right. right. So I'm probably 35 pounds lighter. And mm-hmm. yeah. So I lost some bone in my spine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's nice. <laughs> and uh, so yeah so so but in my head I'm still my old self and uh and then this guy uh quickly realizes that he could overpower me and he does mm-hmm. and he uh, um throws me down mm-hmm. and uh, I dislocate my finger mm-hmm. and uh skin my knee pretty badly and hurt my hip like a son of a bitch and mm-hmm. uh and as I'm done I'm like what am I doing Mm-hmm. What 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 am I? What and I, you should mention too that up to this point, you were you just kept shoving this guy and yelling at him, and not that he didn't deserve it, but it might not have been the the smartest move oh, tactically. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> yeah, but uh, and then he took my phone because I was calling nine one one, and uh, he goes around the corner and he throws it down. I get, he, he he I just hear him go, "Your phone's right here," and as he's leaving, I can't believe the guy didn't turn around and run. Hey. Right. Just run. You yeah. can outrun me. And the ni- and a criminal, but nice enough to let you know where to find your phone that he that he didn't ruin. Paul, I could. I'm like uh, he could have punched you. That's what bothered me. Yeah, he could have punched me in the face. He. I think he knew though that he might have had a record, and he knew if he got violent with me. Mm-hmm. That's what I was thinking afterwards. I'm like, why didn't he? And why didn't he do that? If he's a big enough jerk to be stealing, going into people. So uh, I'm like, why didn't he do that? And I'm talking about maybe he has already a record and he knows if he gets caught with another violent... Yeah. It's, it, to me, my guess is that he's a little ashamed about what he's doing and part of him wants to stop because he could have... Your phone wouldn't have added anything to it. Right. And he was nice about your phone, which makes me think he he's sounds like somebody that's maybe just kind of in over his head financially or something. Anyway, it doesn't matter. So... so Continue. It's a it's a puzzlement to me though what all this stuff that that, that happened. So that happened. Yeah. And uh, what that's the end of that story, right? Right. But then we were we were we were talking, and of course I immediately have to uh, you know uh, be opinionated, and uh, and I and I said to him, I said to you, and when you were pushing this guy and yelling at him, did you just picture your dad's face on on oh. him? You know. And then I apologized afterwards because no. I was like, oh, that was such an asinine thing for me to say, but. I know your your story, your the childhood that you went through. Uh, anger was people's tool for dealing with everything. Yeah, I think that uh, like uh, when I got in common, like in my neighborhood, I grew up in a, a describe south, describe your neighborhood, southwest for me. side of Chicago. It's a really blue collar neighborhood, and uh, uh, it, it, I I think people would 
it's kind of like Southie in Boston. Yeah. And uh, so there's a lot of racism. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, it, it, I'll give you an example of it. So it was, it's Democratic. It's Demo- They used to call it the Democratic Party machine in Chicago. Yeah. And uh, it was always Democratic. And everybody in the city council was a Democrat. Yes. The mayor was a Democrat. Everybody's a Democrat. And then one year, through a, uh, two white guys, people ran for mayor in the Democratic primary. And a third guy was a black guy, Harold Washington. Yeah. Well, the two white people canceled each other out. And the black guy won the Democratic mm-hmm. nomination. Mm-hmm. So now we were going to have a black mayor because mm-hmm. it's a Democratic city. Right. Well, for the first time ever, everybody in my ward... In the 23rd Ward in Chicago, 90% of them voted for the Republican. Really? Yeah. And that, that, I, I remember get that it, Bernie though. Epton? I, you remember that? I Bernie do. Epton. He I do. lost. It was a close race. I yeah. mean, a Republican never got more than t- two votes right. for mayor in Chicago, right? Yeah. You know, there was always, like, so it'll be 12% of the vote right. every year that you get the Republican vote mm-hmm. in Chicago for mayor. Yeah. And it was just like a token thing, and they would give him press coverage. But this time, he almost won. Yeah. And it was really close. Yeah. So that was so that's the kind of I, yeah because Chicago is an ex, still to this day especially the south side extremely segregated. There are neighborhoods where if you cross the street, all of a sudden you're in danger as opposed to the other side of the street. And there was the 47th Street. It was the dividing line in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. If you cross 47th, look, you didn't you know you got what was coming to you. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And the the uh, I grew up in Homewood, which was more suburban. But mine was the first predominantly white uh, community as you headed south. It was it was all African American until a half out, half mile before mine, oh, and yeah? it was literally on the other side of the tracks. <laughs> and it was, and and we grew up with this fear and instilled in us that they're different. You know, it's dangerous, it's bad, and you do, you don't you don't know any better. So you and I were both raised in that you know even environment in until until we began to. Hang around people that were different than us and see that it was a, a comedy. Lie. Uh, you know, comedy. Uh, you know, I grew up on the South Side and everything on the North Side was gay. Yes, and uh, I mean, really, it was unbelievable. And it, to the point where it made it hard for me to perform in my neighborhood. Yeah, because uh, I would watch the comedians who went on before me, and it would make me like, you know, angry at mm. them, like yeah. at the crowd for laughing at, and the whole. It was they would just. I mean, I don't. I don't want to sit here and denigrate my neighborhood. There's a lot of great people in my neighborhood. Right. It was just how people react. How yeah. how people react. They had uh, they had problems with race in yeah. Chicago. They had scattered side housing. Yeah, and they would put uh, which is it sounds good on paper, but it mm-hmm. doesn't. It didn't work. I mean, it's just a hard thing to deal with. They're still dealing with it today. Right. So. Um, I'm not saying that the, there's anything in their DNA that makes them any different, reacting any different than anybody else would react. I'm just saying that was the reality I grew up in. There were dividing lines of neighborhoods between black and yeah. white, mm-hmm. and uh, there were. You know, I went to a Catholic school, and there was, uh, you know, even, you know, the, there was a few black kids in our class, just a few, mm-hmm. maybe three, and uh, they weren't treated. They were. Tr- they were treated. They weren't treated. Mm-hmm. Well. We, none of us were treated that well, but mm-hmm. they were certainly. They're a little they're different, treated a little yeah. differently, and, and we should also uh, talk about the the police, the Chicago police, who uh, don't have a uh, history of being the most uh, progressive. And uh, while I'm sure there are tons of great 
people in the force. Uh, I'm just going to give you a couple examples of, uh, I, I had a friend who was a lawyer and had to deal with uh, police a lot. And he said that they were, they, they would refer to, uh, the blacks as shit skins. Police, who's supposed to be uh, protecting the people. I got thrown in jail one time at, uh, I was, uh, underage we were drinking outside a blackhawks game and we had to bail ourselves out of jail and so we only had enough money for one of our guys to to get out and then he was going to go get more bail money for the for the rest of us and it was at 35th and wood which is a tough yeah. fucking neighborhood oh yeah and he asked the police white police sergeant uh how he could get back to uh his car um could he walk to the to the stadium back to the car and the policeman laughed at him and, uh, and and I apologize. I'm going to use these these, these two words. Uh, but the the cop said to him, laughing, "If the niggers don't get you, the spicks will." <laughs> yes, that's uh, so. This but, is. But I don't think this, that's unique to just Chicago. I don't either. But a lot of people think once you get into a big metropolitan area, it's not the it's mm-hmm. not the sticks, and right. there isn't that KKK mentality. Yes, there absolutely is. It's just it's in pockets. And and you were raised in one of those pockets. Yes. That's what that's what I'm 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 trying to yes. get to okay, to yeah. give people a, a taste of uh yes it's yeah. a it's a cosmopolitan city in many ways but there are also these entrenched little islands of intense hatred and yes. ignorance yes yes that 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 is true but let's get back to the the neighborhood so you were kind of raised with this just this your tool for dealing stuff thought. was just a big blunt tool of anger well it was um am i, I wrong in in saying i didn't that? realize i was i had I was happy, you know. I was lucky to be. Uh, I was, I was healthy, handsome, mm-hmm. and uh, and and I had still are handsome. I had good parents, and so and I was uh, athletic. Yeah, and uh, and so um, uh, and I had a sense of humor. I think I don't know. I, I I certainly developed it as a young age. You know, you are constantly wanting to be funny to get attention because I was. Yes, you, know, you come from a family of twelve kids. Twelve kids. So I have six older brothers. Right, so I was the youngest boy, and I you know you know I couldn't beat them up or be a tough guy. But everybody, but you know, looking back at it, you know, I certainly was in a lot of scrapes as a kid, and everybody fought in my neighborhood. Everybody beat the shit out of each other all the time. What was the name you'd, of your neighborhood? You'd, you'd Vidim Park. Mm-hmm. You'd get in fight with, fights with people just because they were from another neighborhood. Yeah. You know, and, uh, but it, and it wasn't a big deal. Mm-hmm. It wasn't, you know, we all played football, and we all, uh, you know, no pads. Sure. You know, f- tackle football, oh, yeah. no yeah, pads. Yeah, so did we. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's crazy. Yeah. But we did it, and then... Um, you know, we I was on the wrestling team and all that stuff. I mean, we were men. We were, yeah. you know, we, and so when I get to Hollywood and I start to, or when I got in comedy and I start mm-hmm. to meet these uh, people who grew up on the north side of Chicago who are in comedy and, right. they, and they were really like to see that my energy really s- kind of scared them or could, mm-hmm. mo- could, you know, make them uncomfortable. Put it yeah. that way. I don't know if. It scared them. That might be you were, Yeah, you were known as a hothead when I was uh, when we were starting out. It was like, oh, Jimmy got in another fist fight tonight. <laughs> he got in somebody's face because they wouldn't book him. I remember that. I remember you went after, uh, oh, I think R. O'Donnell. R. O'Donnell was booking the improv. And, oh, yeah, Jimmy took a swing at him at Burton Place. It wasn't Jimmy took a swing at Pat Francis because of something yeah, about a girl. That's right. You took a lot of swings at a lot of people. 
Yeah, I wasn't afraid to take a swing at people. That's yeah. just how, you know, somebody does something to you, you confront them. That's yeah. how, I mean, it, or else you weren't a man. That's how I was so socialized. And, you know? you, and what do you believe to today? Do you still think that there's an element to that? Because, I mean, it just happened last week, but were you just kind of in a moment of not really being conscious of it? Or was it, uh, this isn't the right thing to do, but I don't know what else to do. I'm going to go ahead with it. I didn't, I wanted to make sure I wasn't, I didn't know what to. Yeah, I didn't know what I was doing. Obviously, okay. I, I've never confronted a criminal before, right? Uh, so yeah, I didn't know. And I was like, I just wanted to make sure I was covering it. I was doing it correctly. If you had to go back and do it again, would you have called nine one one? Yes, immediately. Yeah, I would have called nine one one right away. I would have just got a description. I would went out there, got a description of the guy, and said, "Okay, yeah. I know what you look like. I already called the cops." Yeah. And um, you know, I'm not going to fight you. Right. That's what I. That's what I. That's what I will do next time. Yeah. I already, yeah. I. I got you know. I already called the cops. You're on your way. I know what you look like. Okay, I'll see you. Right. That's what I should have done. Right. Well, that's good that you that you can see that because uh, for a lot of comedians, I think our I choices to... our choices in life for probably our first thirty plus years are driven by anger, sadness, loneliness. Uh, you know, whatever our demons are. We we just we don't even think we're so narcissistic we don't even consider the world around us or the greater implications of what we're doing in the moment because we're so driven by our emotions we're so damaged emotionally in a lot of ways maybe I should just speak for myself uh, is that is that something no that you know you, Paul I was I didn't have any awareness uh, uh, and it was it was comedy that gave me that awareness of the kind of guy I was and your comedy is so different than it was when you first started yes. out you started out kind of just as a joke teller but there was no soul to it and sometime around what five ten years ago you started taking on uh, issues kind of championing the underdog and uh, I was blown away that you had kind of morphed into this this comic with a conscience, which is not easy to do on the road where people just want to hear <laughs> dick jokes. And you were up there talking uh, about political stuff and kind of making uh, making a stand. And, uh, you know, I take I take my hat off to you because I know sometimes uh, you were just saying the other day you watch Kyle Kinane kill and he's a great comic. Great he, comic. He, he, he tells jokes and you. You had a, a, a. I was envious of him because I'm like, oh, you know what? The, he's just having fun. He's just going yes. up there, and he's just telling. And, I, and it, it reminded me of myself when I was at the Aspen Comedy Festival, and uh, I, uh, I was just a guy going up there telling funny stories about my life, and it was, and life was good. Yeah. And people wanted to be around me, and right. it was great. And then. Um, uh, now I feel like some sort of burden, almost yeah. like I have to. Uh, I can only talk about things that matter all the time, and yeah, um, and I don't. It made me real, made me think. It made me mm -hmm. like watching Kyle Kane made me think about what I wanted to do more, right? And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not sure. I'm never well, sure. Well, it's funny because you've you've uh, built a career. You have a, a one hour Comedy Central special that that airs award winning, that was, yeah, award winning. Thank you. Um, and I'm sure you're, I, and, and I'm sure your parents gave you uh, all the accolades you uh, fantasized with. <laughs> that's another thing. Let's talk about that. The, the can lack, I say the, though we, yeah. we talked about I had a reputation that as a hothead. Yeah, it was through comedy that I became aware that I had anger. I didn't know I was angry. Right. And it was only through people ref telling, reflecting back to me, and I didn't know I came off as a dummy. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, I, I think I had a, well, 
I know I had a very so- thick. I don't think people could see your soul because it didn't come through in your comedy, no. and it certainly didn't come through in all the bur- bridges you burned in the fights you picked. Right. No. Right. I didn't. Uh, and that's why I think Graham Elwood and I uh, became such fast friends because I, we had the same temperament. Yeah, and uh, it didn't like anger doesn't scare us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make me ner- it doesn't make me uncomfortable. You know, yeah. somebody's angry feels familiar. Feels very familiar. Yes, and so my dad, my dad's dad was an alcoholic. Yeah, uh, even though were, they were either of your parents alcoholics? No, mm-hmm. no. So my dad, my dad did much better than his father. My dad mm. was a good guy. Did your dad ever get help my, for my dad? The, the, never. The, the no, damage. Dad, you know, he grew up in the before any of that stuff. He didn't sure. get help. He didn't even know what you know. The guy lost a presidential election because he cried once. You yeah. know, I mean, when my dad was already a grown man. So no, oh, who, they, who, who lost the president? Muskie. He would. They, he yeah. got off the vice. He was the vice president. President, yeah. remember for uh, McGovern and mm. he cried once because he anyway in public and that was yeah. the end of it so no my dad um, uh, he was he I, I the joke part I tell about it is my dad so my dad didn't drink at all so uh, he we never he, he had two emotions angry and not angry yet right <laughs> <laughs> and uh, because you know he didn't drink, so we never got to have any of those fun drunk times. Right, we just had all the miserable. Right, but that's not. I mean, my dad was just—he had twelve kids. He was a blue-collar guy. He worked two jobs, sometimes three, to support everybody, and he did. He supported everybody. Wow. And then he managed to take a month vacation every year, a month. But that was, you know, when people used to get a month off sure. from work. My dad was a cop, so he got a month off. Now you get a vacation. It's called being laid off. Yeah. 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 You just don't go anywhere and you sit around and worry all day. Yeah. It's not really quick. But uh, so so that, so we were all, ang- and yet, and we grew up in a time when people, it was normal to hit your kids. Yeah. It, it you know, because people had more kids. When you have one or two kids, you obsess on them mm-hmm. and you treat them more like real people and you care about their emotions. When you have 10, 12 kids in a house, you don't have time. Yeah. To care about someone's fucking emotions. And you don't have time. You know, it's people always ask me, what's it like growing up in a big family? I don't know, because I didn't grow up in a small family and I had nothing to compare it to. Yeah. But I always fantasized about having a big family and thinking how great it would be. They're great I parts. Had, yes. I had two, it was just me and my brother. And I, there was always a quiet, you know, I joke that my, my family was like the movie Ordinary People without the big laughs. You know, it was yeah, just it was just kind of void of. I had to remember that movie. That's why it of, took me a, a second. Void of joy, a lot of tense <laughs> silence, and when I would visit, because we had a lot of a lot of large Catholic families at my grade school. When I would go visit there, it was everything I wanted. There was noise, there was yeah. laughter. Yeah, there was drama, there was fighting yes, and yelling. A lot of drama, but at least there was something. And. There was also a dynamic, and I wonder if your family had this, the large Catholic schools, um, the Catholic families, that's where trouble was made into an art form because the younger brothers watched the older brothers and they were the ones that told us, oh, here's how you drink beer. Here's how you smoke cigarettes. Here's how you break into this Mm. or you do that. So was your family, was there, did you learn how to get into trouble from your older brothers and share it with your peers? Oh, definitely. We were all, you know, there were. We all felt like we were a part of a criminal class, yeah. and uh, you know, get, when you go to a Catholic school and you're the youngest boy, you're a marked man because yes. I already had six doors go through in front of me, plus my sisters, you know, and they weren't all angels either. So, yeah, yeah by the time I got, that's why when I went to St. Lawrence, it was great because I get to make my own reputation. None of my old, my siblings went to that school. Oh, so I got to make my own reputation, and it was. It was 
it really made me it was good really good experience to do that because I felt I found out people could like me yeah that who were an authority and why did you which I still a- have a problem with authority today really mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm saying sarcastically oh, oh. Uh, why why did you go to St Lawrence and your other siblings didn't were you smart um, I I don't know why my mom yeah I I felt like I was smarter because Catholic schools are not cheap yeah mm-hmm. so I felt like I was and my parent my mom wanted me to go. And uh, so I went. I took yeah. the entrance exam and I went. And uh, I knew I was going to go to college. I don't know why. Right. I just, oh, and so I was like, well, I want to go to college. I don't want to go to the public right. school. They mm-hmm. weren't that good in, where I, in my neighborhood. Right. So Let's talk about depression uh, a, a little bit because uh, anger is so closely related to depression. Depression, you know, there's a saying that uh, depression is anger turned inwards. Do you feel like you're somebody that uh, has depression? Yeah. Okay. Uh, can you talk about it a little bit? Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, it runs in my family, and I didn't, of course, they didn't bother to tell me that until I was in the middle of a major depression. And I was like, well, it could have helped me out if you who, told me this. Who uh, had it in your family? It run, you know, aunts, uncles. My yeah. dad had it. My uh, old, you know, sister. And did any of them get any kind of treatment for and it? The, uh, yeah, my sister I had an older sister who did, and... Um, uh, and, and how did the family view that? Was were they 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 didn't feel any kind of uh, shame or no, look down on her or think you know you're no, weak? No, she had some hard, my one sister had some hard times, you know. So she was always a little more unstable than everybody else, yeah. and we always kind of looked out for her and worried about her and what mm-hmm. have you. And uh, uh, but that's just because she went through a depression at a younger age than, yeah. than the rest of us, I and think. How is she today? She's uh, she's born again Christian, yeah, and she, she doesn't take any meds and. She and had she some, seemed, she had she some big tragedy in her life. She had a daughter who mm-hmm. died. Wow. Yeah. Um, and do, does it seem like uh, she she has found something that helps her? Yes. In her religion. I have a niece also the same way. She was bipolar and hard to medicate and always having uh, episodes. And then she found God and she's born again. And they that seems to do it for yeah. her. I don't know how that, that does seem to do it. I think it's, you know, I know what me that it's my anxiety that leads to depression. Mm-hmm. Like I, I get into worrying mm-hmm. and anxiousness about the future. I, I live in the future or the past. I, yeah. I, I'm either living in fear of the future yeah. or, regret or regret about the past. The past. Well, can I t- talk- and those are two really fun places to be. Yeah, there there is such a link in, in my mind and a lot of other people's between um, depression and spirituality. You know, there is a depression that no amount of spirituality can cure, you know, a physical depression. But there is also, I think, a situational depression that spirituality is the only thing that, that can cure in, in my well, mind. Well, it makes me, you know, um, I, it's kind of like, uh, I mean, I wish I could go back and, you know, not. And I wish I could be religious, but I, I, I can't. But, but but I don't think you have to be religious. Uh, no. I think you, you probably got a feeling when you started doing your material that meant more to you. You probably got a little bit of a feeling of peace and and self worth when you started talking about things that you thought maybe might just make the world a tiny bit better. Am I wrong, um, Paul? Let me just put it to you this way: uh, my life. Uh, has exceeded my dreams in many ways. Yes. And I still manage to be miserable most of the time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and yes. I get the sense that maybe there is something in you that is wanting something that's maybe not good for you. <laughs> that, that That is just going to make you want more of it. Yeah, well, you know, I'm finding that out. You know, like, I, um, I didn't plan my life past an hour special. 
Right. That was it. That was my goal. And I you thought, got it. And you were probably happy for a little while, but now it's what next, well, right? I thought, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know there would be a what next. I didn't even, it didn't dawn on me. I thought like, you know, it's like Brett Favre. I don't want to win a Super Bowl. Once you do, you're like, okay, well, whatever happens after that, I'll be okay. I already won one. Yes. And that's how I felt. But that, no, I still have the rest of my life to live now. It's like, right. I can't retire and announce comedy. Right. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is what I want to do. And you have a gift. So why, why should you? So, you know, uh, I, hanging around with you at this festival. Festival, so many people have come up to you and just gushed over your podcast and how much they love it in your radio show, and yet you are still have this deeply unsatisfied thing in you. It's rotten. There's a, there's a, you know, they say depression is anger at the self, right? So I yeah. noticed that. I, again, only through working with other people that I'm hard on myself. I didn't real. I just thought that. Right. That's how you. I guess it, you internalize stuff from your parents, right? And yeah. it, but it wasn't just my parents; it was my neighborhood. You know, and I talk about how we, we don't, there was physical discipline in people's houses in my neighborhood where I grew up. But they, you'd go to school; they'd hit you. Hit you in church. Depression is anger at the self. Right. 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 And don't you think most comics have you tried therapy? Yeah, it, it's just uh, it's hard to find a good therapist. They all seem just as screwed up as me, and mm-hmm. uh, nobody seems. What's the longest you've ever stuck with therapy? Um, with a single therapist? Uh, I don't know, maybe six months. Okay. I saw this one guy. He was all right. Yeah. But they're all, you know, I had one psychiatrist. <laughs> she would fall asleep. She'd fall asleep really? every time. Really? And she, her eyes would kind of start to close, and I would go, Pamela, what are you doing? She goes, no, I'm just, I'm thinking. I'm like, you're not thinking. And then, you know, like, it took me, I was really depression, so it took a while for me to be able to talk yeah. back to her. And then, like, the third time, when I just go, Pamela! And I go, oh. she goes, huh? And I go, oh, this is, oh, I'm gone. Wow, that had to be really hurt. And she wanted to do an episode over, uh, she wanted, not an episode, an episode, we're going to do an episode of Jimmy's Therapy. <laughs> and the next episode. It's an all new Jimmy. And the episode of Jimmy's Nuts. Yeah. Uh, so she she was, uh, she wanted to do our weekly therapy. She couldn't be in the office. She wanted to do it over the phone. Mm-hmm. And I I would, didn't want to, I hesitated. And she was like, no, I've done it before. It's, it's okay. I'm like, okay, well, of course. Of course, right in the middle, her phone cuts out. Right, of course, of course, and then got to get her back. And I'm just like, what the? F-? Yeah. Anyway, I don't know how that. You got to try. You got to try a different therapist. Yeah. Because so, there's good ones. There's really good ones out there. Ones that that have really helped people find what what they need. I can't believe Paul. Since a young man, I don't know why I was always a seeker. Wayne Dyer and Deepak yeah. Chopra. Oh, but it all started with Leo Buscalia. I used mm. to see him on PBS, mm-hmm. and so I got interested in that stuff. And there's a lot to that. Like if you can focus your thinking, it's all about being able to focus your thinking. But it's amazing that all that knowledge hasn't helped me. Because it's it's not about knowledge. That's the that's the thing that took me forty years to realize is there's. You know, there's the physical world, there's the mental world, and then there's the spiritual world. And the spiritual world is completely unconnected to intelligence. And trying to reach that through intellect is a dead end street. And it's why a, a lot of I know uh, that's why the smartest people in the world can build nuclear bombs. Yeah, exactly. It really is right. That's why yeah. Christopher Hitchens can defend the Iraq War. Right. Yeah. That's right. That's what that's about. So yeah, it's a, so that's why I was just talking to somebody about that movie, The Matrix, mm-hmm. and they were saying how it ruined it for him that Keanu Reeves was the central character in that. And I was mm-hmm. like, no, that makes the movie. And they're like, how? Because it shows you that you're not going to reach enlightenment through intellect. You're only going to reach it through courage. Wow. 
and that's he didn't have intellect. He wasn't dumb. He's a right, dumb, and he isn't even a good actor. Yeah, but uh, no, I think he's a good actor. Yeah. but uh, he. Uh, but it was to me that's really is a it's a yes. it's a metaphor for, for even that guy that it, they're like oh don't you think the studio made them choose him? Well, even if they did, it was a happy accident for me. Yes. Because yeah, there could have been a more interesting actor in mm-hmm. that role, but I like the fact that he's kind of dim-witted. Yes, and it, that's not what it takes to save the world. It's, intelligence. It's not, and and the most Courage courageous, the most courageous, courageous act to me is to say, I don't know, and I need help. Those are the two most courageous things that that I've done in my life, and they've been the the most beneficial to me. And I wonder if that isn't maybe where for you to reach the next level of finding who you are or what you need to be happy that that might because i believe there is a matrix that's funny that you mentioned that movie i feel like there is this matrix to the universe that guides us that helps us do what what it is that we're meant to do if we can get to the point where we get out of our own self-will and try to see what it is but only by connecting to other people like you and I are doing right now can we begin to see have that matrix reveal it, itself does that make sense yes i i was going along just fine um figuring things out and then i realized that uh, oh the way to feel fully uh, uh, joseph campbell says they asked him what the meaning of life was mm-hmm. and he said there is no meaning to life there's only the meaning you give it and that people aren't looking for a meaning to life anyway. Mm-hmm. What people are looking for is the sense of having been alive. Yeah. And that's why people take drugs and ride roller coasters mm-hmm. and see scary movies. Yeah. And for me, it's because those things throw you into the present. And when you're in the present moment is when you feel the most alive. But yes. it's the hardest place to get to. It is. And I just, you know, I just thought of that myself. Like, well, that must be why people like roller coasters yeah. and people like scary movies. Because mm-hmm. you aren't thinking about anything else. Yes. And why and, we like stand-up comedy. And why we like stand-up comedy because I'm right there. Yeah. And, and it's the best for me. When I can not drop my preconceived ideas of how I want the show to go, but how I can let it kind of unfold instead yes. of forcing it. And that's yeah. the hardest thing in the world for me to do. I love to hide behind my jokes. Yeah. I love, and that's why going up the other night at that show, you know, uh, really scared me. Yeah. And I didn't want to do it. But if, Can I, you talk about that? Yeah, so I was on this show... And it was all people from Chicago, and I was going up last because I had the most uh, credits. Mm-hmm. And uh, but these guys were doing this kind of comedy that uh, is very raw and edgy, and it was a long show. So by the time you get up there, they've heard a lot of comedy, and they've heard some really over the top, raw, edgy things. And so now anything I say is going to sound kind of silly and trite. And so it's hard to be de- different and still get bigger laughs than everybody else. And in my mind. Mm-hmm. I always, be careful what you wish for. I always wanted to be the guy. I always wanted to be the headliner on the show. I always wanted to be the guy that people came and listened to. Mm-hmm. And and then it's like, oh, shit, now I got to be funny. Yeah. Now people expect me to be funny. Before, yeah. it used to be with great. I used to surprise people. Yeah. Used to be able to open for other people. And people were like, oh, you see how funny that other guy was that we yeah. didn't expect anything? Well, now when you're the guy, boy, is it, fu- it's fucking different, man. Yeah. And it's, a, it's, it's, and, um, 
And that's the, th- the thing about living in the future is you get this idealized version of how things are going to be. Mm-hmm. You don't get any of those details. So you think, I'm going to go last. You forget the checks are going out while you're up there yes. when you're headlining. You forget you're following a better comedian than mm-hmm. you were when you were the middle guy. Yes. All these things. You have to do more radio in the morning. You have to. There's all these responsibilities that come with it. And that's one of the many dangers of not living in the present moment is, is f- you get that double-edged sword of fantasy. You know, the fantasy allows us to create these great creative lives for ourselves but it's this also this terrible uh thing when we misuse it yes yes how did you feel about that show the other night i mean i thought you did great uh, no I, I mean you i meant you oh my set <laughs> yeah um i didn't go up with with much in the way of expectations i weaseled my way out of going up last i was originally scheduled to sure. to, to go last and I have TV show. I haven't done much straight stand-up in a while. I've just done my character. You did the gay stand-up? Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. They're a better crowd. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> and I was I didn't feel like I would be the funniest person. So I said, can you put me up earlier in the show? Oh, okay. And, uh, and I wasn't the, the, the funniest person in, You're very in the show. You were very funny. I, well, thank you. But, You're very funny. But um, I, I was a little insecure about about going I think everybody uh, was less. insecure. Yeah. And going you and there. you followed a guy who was very very drunk and was getting very very graphic and it was uh, I would have been a little pissed off if I were you. Uh, and you were pissed off and you vented a little bit and it was right on the edge of appropriate and inappropriate and that was that was what was edgy. So you were <laughs> it's funny cuz you were edgy. Mm-mm. Uh and and yet you didn't lose your composure. Mm-hmm. You lashed out a couple of times. It got a little uncomfortable. Whereas like, oh, is Jimmy gonna have a fucking meltdown and start <laughs> yelling at people here? But but you didn't, and you ultimately kept your composure, and it was and it was cool. And I was so glad when you went up to the to the guys who were you were kind of snapping at mm-hmm. from on stage, and kind of shook their hands and and laughed with them afterwards. No, you know what, Paul? Before I went up, I actually you know while. F- I, I was angry at him for making it hard on me. I wasn't angry at him for doing what he was doing. Because okay. I, I was at, if I wasn't going up, I would have been enjoying the shit yes. out of it. Well, this guy was... So I was, told him that when he came off stage, yes. oh, I, okay. I go, hey, thanks for making it hard for me. That was great, you motherfucker. Oh, okay. And so I went up, and that was more out of like that. I was like, yeah, yeah I would never in a million years ever take you on the road with me. Right. Or, but I, w- I, I would have enjoyed this had I not had to follow you. Yeah. Yeah. yeah That's yeah. how I felt. So I wasn't... It was more out of like... Uh, you prick made it hard on me and i right. and he was very graphic and very raw and he was actually drunk oh he was hammered which put it in another like so so there was this uh excited uncomfortableness yeah. during his set too so it was like so there was a height there was a heightened emotionality about his set that i couldn't repeat repeat i or, knew that or top or top so like so now where do i go with that and now i got these young comics but you who who've heard my name since they started comedy right. and now they get a chance to see jimmy Dore, and they're gonna see if he can do it or if he's he gonna fucking fold like a house of cards now, see and that's such a sick way to look at it because i'm back there thinking Jimmy is way wittier than this guy, and he's way more honest than this guy. Oh, really? And you brought that, and that's ultimately what great comedy is. Oh, okay. But I would have been in the same headspace you are, because when it comes to us, sometimes we're the worst perspective we have, because we Mm -hmm. are filtering everything through our low (laughs) self-esteem. In our past. Yes. You know, somebody said to me one time, I was having a bad day, and they said, I wish you could see yourself through our eyes. And it, it it made me start to cry because I was like, wow, I I 
am really hard on myself, and I yes. think most artists really are, and that's why we have to go into the fantasy world, because it's too painful to deal with the reality of the of the present moment and, and how we feel about ourselves. Well, uh, I, I always try to tell myself, uh, if, you know, it's very easy for whatever reason, and I think it's mental illness, that, you know, your day-to-day becomes not special to you. Yeah. And um, uh, I think it's, if you, you know, a, a technique I try to use, doesn't always work, uh, is to try to think of myself at my first open mic. And if someone would would have handed me a sheet, yes. my resume from today, You'd then, shit yourself. I was like, that's going to happen? Yeah. You're kidding? I'm going to be on first name basis with Norm MacDonald? Right. Are you kidding me? You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, I just, it would just blow my mind, you know? Yeah. And, uh so, so it's it's hard to keep that's like I may make that joke you know if my life has exceeded my dreams many times over and I'm still managed to be miserable and that's and I and I, and you know I, I thought about that the other day and I was like well I have I really have to change that yeah I have to so I'm, I guess I'm at that age when people go through that stuff yes. I'm 45 yes so I'm now I'm like trying to reevaluate you know maybe get a new wife uh, <laughs> Jimmy's kidding, of course. Uh, no, lovely, love, lovely wife, uh, Stefan. I love Stephan my. A. I love my wife. Yeah. We just got married last summer. Yeah. She's great. But uh, no, so I'm starting to. No, I'm actually starting about thinking about starting a family with her. I, I want. Mm-hmm. I'm like, you know, I never thought. I, it's so funny. I, I you know, comedy yeah. is such an unstable life. You mm-hmm. never. You always think that. I always think, you know, they say guys don't think about raising a family or starting a family until they feel secure in their career. Right. Well, you never feel secure in your career as a comedian. I don't right. think I, until you have a television show, right. and that's what I always think. Like, well, I'm like, well, yeah, I'm going to have kids as soon as I have a television show. Mm-hmm. What a crazy way mm-hmm. to live your life! I, yeah. No one told me. There's no one. You know what? Maybe that's what. Maybe that's my. Yeah. Maybe I'll write a book on how to for young comics where right. young people getting to Hollywood. This is what. Don't wait till you have a TV show to start a life. Right. Start a life. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, you, I don't know. You don't have kids. I don't have kids. And uh, now you don't have kids because you're dead inside a little or? Uh, yeah. Okay. Me too. <laughs> and uh, No, it's just, it's never been a, a something that my wife and I uh, really wanted badly. I have moments where I think, oh, I'm, I'm really missing out, but they're fleeting. It's they're the, fleeting. But don't you, see, like it's when I'm, I'm, I'm too I, selfish. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm not making a joke. Yeah, but you, it changes you. That's the point. But I don't want to find out when the kid's three, I don't really like this. I'm sure the chances are 99% you... that I wouldn't, but my dad was that way. My dad had kids that he wasn't interested in, and he wasn't present. My dad could never really reconcile himself to be comfortable in his own skin, and when you're not comfortable in your own skin, I don't think you can be present for your kids. And so I would say to you, wouldn't it be good for you to become more more comfortable in your skin before you pull the trigger on having kids so you could be really present with them? Because when you're in the future... No, I, I, you know what? Yes, Paul. I mean, on paper, yes, that makes sense. But as we all know, uh, but, you know they, they say if you wait to the right time to have kids, you never will. And so, I think that's more true financially than it is emotionally. Mm, uh, you're, you know, I mean, I don't... I don't know. I don't know. I don't even know if I'm. We might yeah. not have her still. Still not do it. I don't know. But it just yeah. seems like. Oh, I, I'm. Uh, it seems like I would have half a life yeah. lived. Like that seems like such a big thing. Like, you know, I'm. Tr- I'm starting to look for meaning in life because comedy. Yeah. While it does bring meaning to my life in a certain way, it's not enough anymore. No, 
It's a compartment. It's not. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's not. It's, the, I'm like, the, the oh no, oh this didn't do it. It yeah. didn't do it. Like I did it. I did it. I guess you know. I, yeah. That thing. That yeah. You're maybe talk- it does. Maybe it does bring you that that perspective. I, I don't know because I don't because I don't have kids. I wonder what. Uh, I'm tired of thinking about myself all the time. Yeah, it's such a dead end street, be, be, and that's where we think we're going to find the answer, but we don't. I've found through connecting to other people that's the only way I can ever get gratitude in my life and oh. get the perspective that I need. You know, Joseph Campbell. I'm glad you brought him up. He said something when we decide. I'm, and I'm mangling, paraphrasing it, but basically, in a nutshell, he said when we decide to do something for the betterment of society, for other people, something altruistic, magical guides will show up to yes, assist us. Yes, thousand tiny hands. Yeah, mm-hmm. is that what he... Is all that, the doors yeah. were open. One and door I, closes and... And, mm-hmm. and, I, and I completely uh, that, that agree. Is, I've experienced that. It is yeah. amazing. So that makes me realize that we're, there, we are abso- actually not separate. We no, are all we connected. are all connected, yeah. So there's that kind of spirituality. But I wanted to make one more point. Except Filipinos. They're Ex- not connected. I, I'm not sure. I, there's some Samoans I yeah. can certainly exclude. But... Yeah. Um, uh, so when I, I was on this path and I realized that through emotions, through not being afraid of emotions and not being, growing up in the blue, that neighborhood I grew up in, it makes you um, only comfortable expressing certain emotions, you know? Yes. Uh, joy, anger, rage, and more rage. And yeah. <laughs> uh, so that those are the things that you're, you know, you can cheer for a team, you can laugh, you can be angry and you can fucking punch someone. Yes. Uh, and that's it. But so, but I, and then I realized, oh no, emotion, like connect, like you're saying, like connecting the people, that's yes. the way. And showing and vulnerability. That, that being vulnerable. Is, yes. Oh, being oh, like, yes. That's where real intimacy yes. begins to me. And I have been afraid for most of my life because I was afraid it would put me in a weak position, but it does. But that people love when you approach them with vulnerability. Yes. Most people. Yes. Because they're, no, you're right. then they can let their defenses down. But it's the scariest thing in the world. And it goes back to that courage that you were talking about. Well, what? Ha- yes. And the, what, what, what I think I want, I want to say this because this is about mental illness. So my first depression, when it happened, I didn't know what it was. And it came out of nowhere. How long ago was this? This is 1999. Yeah. And it was more, and it started with Was it things- based on the Prince song? <laughs> yeah. And I had the anxiety. I had the anxiety. That's what really led to the depression. And so just then I... Describe the anxiety, if you would. It's just everything. Nervous about... Ev- things about... I wouldn't be... Ner- and then, and then a, a tightness in my chest that I can only describe as a million-pound tourniquet being turned against my chest that was constant. Constant. Wow. I couldn't... I couldn't believe it. Like, there's nothing... I couldn't believe my bones were broken. So, but... What happened, the consequence of that is it made me scared to open up, to tr- to feel emotions again, because I was afraid I was going to go crazy They again. were going to kill you. Yes. So I've been so fighting that. So what did that you do? Shut, you shut down? I've been fighting that ever since. Yeah. And I've, well, had, I've, had, another, I've had two depressions since then. I had one mm-hmm. in uh, 06, 07, and then uh, uh, currently. Mm-hmm. What do you think, and I'm sorry if I come across as an asshole for bringing this up, but you're my friend, and so I want to say it. Do you think smoking a lot of weed is good, given that you have that? No. Okay. So what keeps you from giving up the weed? You uh, don't know anything I, better to bring I just bring keep the- thinking it's, it's, I'm going to turn a corner. Yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm noticing now. No, I, I've cut back. Uh, I've noticed that, you know, when you... 
I quit smoking pot one time for my first depression for two and a half years. I didn't smoke pot and touch alcohol or caffeine because mm-hmm. I did not want to feel that again ever yeah. again. Right. And so what was that like? Th- that was uh, I, well. I was in my. I didn't. I wasn't on the right meds, so I was just. Do I, you what, take meds currently? Not anymore. I'm going to go back. Because okay. I'm figuring out now that I have ADD, which can also lead to depression, which I think is what I have. Yeah. And uh, uh, which you don't know, I never noticed I had because I was a comedian and you don't have to do a lot of tasks. You have simple, your life is simple but complicated in other ways, right? Right. As a comedian, the flaws didn't show. But now that I'm having to produce two shows mm-hmm. by myself, write, produce, edit, get You're to a get, busy man. It is really my, it's showing. It's showing You're up. starting to feel the chest tighten or? The ADD is showing up. I'm yeah. missing stuff all the time and th- falling through the cracks and I can't manage my life. My life is becoming unmanageable. Yes. So I'm like, oh, I have to get, and then I talk. It's too to bad s- there's not a program for people that can't give something up and their, and their lives have become unmanageable. I'm, I'm making a joke. That's I. I the, oh, you, the, the oh, first, oh, the first step of a twelve-step. Oh program. no, it's not the. Weed. Yeah. No, no, it's not yeah. the. It, it, it's not related to the weed. I don't think so, Paul. I mm-hmm. mean, uh, if if it was, like, it's not like I could. I, I don't think so. Yeah. Uh, but no, now that I'm anxious, I can't smoke pot like I yeah. used to. I can't. I can never smoke before. I used to always smoke before my shows. Yeah. Because it helped me. Which blows my mind. The oh, one, it really one time I performed me. high, my upper. I got such cotton mouth. Mm-hmm. My upper lip. Stuck to my teeth, mm-hmm. I ran out of water, and I couldn't remember what my next line was yeah. until it was uncomfortably awkward, and then I would remember. So it was this half oh. hour of just jolting, yeah. lumbering, oh, so awful. So I, 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 no, I don't I, know if I should say my hat is off to anybody that can for, perform stone, well, but I don't know, know how you do it. It it had to be in a certain, it's all about headspace. You know, I was at a club that I, that, that I didn't want to come back to. Yeah, and uh, so somebody had offered me some pot, and I would always say no because my biggest yeah. fear is I'd have a bad show, and people go, "Oh, Jimmy was high on stage. That's why right. I had a bad show." Right. Well, this club, I didn't care. I don't want to come back. So I got high and went on stage. It was the best goddamn show I ever had in my life, wow. and that's because I was comfortable and I didn't care. But if I was going up in a nervous situation and I was high, it would be horrible. So what? What about trying to find a way of living where you can go up sober? Uh, I go up sober all the time now, and and have that same relaxation because that is possible. Yeah. Well, I gotta get. Yeah. I gotta that's what you gotta figure out and I don't mean sober in every aspect of your life but just for that yes just for that show no no yeah I mean that's the I don't really need weed anymore yeah on stage I don't it doesn't yeah I can get there without it I know I can remember I can remember how I need to be in my head to be there right that's all yeah and but you know I've probably said this before on the podcast I'm not anti-alcohol anti-weed I'm anti that for me yeah but if other people can use it in in moderation and it enhances their life God God bless you it did for a while. Well, let me ask you this though: Did you feel? Did you find that about what I mentioned about you know you're afraid of emo- like I'm afraid of emotions. I was afraid to open my heart mm-hmm. to a woman. Yeah, uh, and I was never like to me. I pushed like I was. I was on a freight train of opening my heart until yeah. my depression. Yeah, like I was everything open big. I was. Yeah, and my life was expanding. You know, yeah. and things were really and it was life was rich. Yeah, and then when the depression hit, uh, I just shut down and I was afraid to do that. And uh, uh, did you have that experience? I I didn't know how to. I didn't understand that there needs to be emotional intimacy before there can be physical and sexual intimacy with someone. Mm -hmm. I just learned this in the last two years. And the biggest aha moment for me came uh, a couple of months ago. On a submarine? On a submarine. (laughs) I was was going through this this health issue 
that was, and I had gone off my meds, and I was miserable, I was uh, listless, uh, I was depressed, and uh, I was having to be on this diet where I could basically only eat vegetables. And my wife was kind of questioning the way I was going about this diet. And I wasn't really being fully honest with her about how much pain I was in. And my initial instinct when she questioned what I was doing, because I was going to buy a food processor so I could start making myself more soup, which is one of the things they recommend. But it's, you know, it's like 400 bucks or something for this food processor. And I wanted to buy it, but I knew that she didn't really think we needed it. And she was questioning about my diet. And the old part of me started to come up and I was about to go into I'm going to win this argument and I had just started to learn how to be vulnerable and instead I broke down and I cried and I told her I'm so tired of feeling the way I t I'm tired I'm confused I'm scared you know and she gave me a hug and she went online and she bought me the food processor and I immediately started getting healthier. And it showed me that that, and somebody, and I shared this with someone, and they said, that's where intimacy begins. Oh, and I've really? been afraid of that my whole life because for one reason or another, I, I wasn't shown the tools how to do that as a child. It, it, I didn't see it happen in my family. So vulnerability was a scary thing to do, but I'm learning how to do it now. And the energy that I'm greeted with in this podcast is an excellent example of it blows my mind and it brings me such peace and, and, and happiness. And I think it encourages other people to, to do it. You know, there's people that go on the message boards and are opening up about things that happening that are happening with them and they're sending me emails. And it's just I've never been so high on life as I have been since I started doing that thing a couple of months ago. That, that vulnerability, which used to scare the fuck out of me. Really? Yeah. And and my well, my no. marriage is starting to become uh, healthier. Not that it was ever bad, but it was lacking it something was, that I knew that... <laughs> it wasn't good. Yeah, the word was out. It, it was lacking something, and I knew it was my fault, but I didn't know. And so I had to, you know, start to get some therapy for it and ask for help. Really? Yeah. Okay. And it's a good thing that Carla's parents, you know, raised her... To um, you know, embrace weak men. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, hats off to you. My wife was raised Mexican. She's not. She wouldn't put up with that shit. She was like, "Keep trying to get what you want, pussy." <laughs> That's what she would say. <laughs> and, and Stephanie, your wife is one of the sweetest, <laughs> most gentle people that, that that I know. She is obviously Jimmy. Jimmy is uh, is kidding. She's like she's a mama bear, as Sarah Palin would say. Yeah, she 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 gets very protective of me. Yeah, I, I you know I love looking at her face when you are performing or doing something. She just beams. She just beams, and it's such a beautiful, oh really, such a beautiful thing to see. Yeah, she oh. is. She is just a, a really, uh, really positive, uh, sweet, sweet person. We are sponsored today by the mobile puzzle game Best Fiends. I'm a big fan of it. If you have never tried Best Fiends, uh, it's it, it works at areas of your brain that are very satisfying to to work out. Um, it's it's you. You solve a puzzle, but it's also the puzzles are um, there's a spatial 
kind of puzzle solving to it too. There's a strategy to it and the way that they design it is it gets increasingly difficult so it always stays challenging and then they, they're always coming up with new kinds of stuff. So if you're looking for a fun way to pass the time and engage your brain and enjoy breathtaking visuals in a gripping story, your answer is Best Fiends. Best Fiends is a casual game anyone can play. I am currently at level, I think, 153, and uh, I'm having a little trouble getting through this one, but it makes it more satisfying when you do get get through a level. It does not require uh, internet to play, so you don't need to worry about Wi-Fi access or using cell data. Uh, they update the game monthly. And uh, check it out. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. With over 100 million downloads, this five-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. And, yes, I'm uh, very. I was very lucky to uh, yeah. to meet her. I was. Uh, I remember it was a really nice story. When I was in Los Angeles, I had just gotten out of a relationship with a woman who didn't have the courage to be to find out who she was supposed to be, yeah. and that's why we. I can't. You know, that's one of the things that anyway. And I was lonely, and I wanted to find a woman who I could share my life with. And I went to the Acme Comedy Theater one night, and I saw this uh, girl on stage being hilarious, and I was like, Why can't I just be with a girl like that? Mm-hmm. See, look at her. She's dark, like I like. Mm-hmm. She's funny. Dark as in personality or complexion? No, complexion. Yeah. She's, uh, she's dark hair and, and, mm-hmm. and she's Mexican. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, I just love that. I don't know what it is. It just gets me. And, uh, and she was funny, and you know? Mm-hmm. And I thought she was Italian. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, uh, which is, she, uh, she makes a joke about that at, uh, in her life. She goes, whenever people meet me, I'm 100% Mexican, but when people meet me, they think I'm Italian because, you know, they like me. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> And so I and I got to and then uh, I didn't we didn't get together for probably I don't know three or four years after that maybe mm-hmm. five years after that we didn't hook up and yeah. uh, it was great and yeah. so I was like oh and I love to tell that story like oh I, I, it's a good feeling for me to remember that seeing her and now that's my wife and you know it's so funny you just described Carla and I I saw her on stage three or four years before I ever asked her to go out and she was and she's Italian. Ah, uh, really? You she, thought she was Mexican? She's not. A, she's not a dirty Mexican, Jenny. That's the point that I'm trying to make. I remember the first time yeah. I saw your wife on stage. Yeah, yeah. I was like, I never saw somebody work a pole like that. <laughs> I, I couldn't. <laughs> I couldn't believe. I was like, wow, she's so tiny, but she's really is sure of herself. Yeah, she. And she, uh, she's no, no. Got I remember the, the first time I saw her on stage at the comedy womb. I remember what she was wearing. Yeah, it was. She was hilarious. Yeah, yeah. I couldn't believe mm-hmm. that. A girl could be that funny. Yeah. I'd never seen anybody, you know, she was the funniest person I'd probably seen up to that point, I think, live. Yeah. She was amazing. Yeah. 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 And she doesn't perform anymore, which I, I miss. She always hated performing. She just liked writing, writing jokes, made her very nervous to perform. She doesn't, doesn't like to be the center of attention. <laughs> she doesn't. I believe she's you. A great, she, she will not be on this podcast by, uh, because she, well, for one, she's not mentally ill, other than the fact that she chose to live with me. Yeah. But uh, she, she shies away from that, that kind of stuff. But um, she's, I, I, let's go on on this note. I think you and I are both uh, pretty lucky to have found the patient yeah. Uh, women that that we have, yes, and uh, you know, I'd be interested uh, to to know what people think about some of these subjects that, that we brought up on the podcast. So if you're uh, if you're out there and uh, you feel like going on the message boards, um, go to mentalpod.com. That's the uh, the website for this for this podcast. And uh, is there anything you want to plug before before we go? 
Um, I just that I have a website, and a, I mean, yeah, go to my website, jimmydorecomedy.com. And and Dor is spelled D O R E. Correct. Yeah. And then I have a, uh, if you like the Daily Show, uh, Paul and I do, uh, I do a radio version that Paul is on mm-hmm. called the Jimmy Dore Show. Mm-hmm. And that's how I describe it. Is that a good That's dis- succinct. It's, it's probably, probably uh, makes it sound like it's a knockoff, which it's really not. It's oh. just a kind of a comedy uh, political pundit show. Yeah. Kind of a humorous re- left, right, and center. But yeah. Yes. But uh, the more lefty than yeah. anything. And uh, and then I have a, a, a podcast where I interview other comedians called Comedy and Everything Else with along with Steph, my wife. And uh, those, those are the two things. Yeah, great. Well, I, I want to thank you for, for coming on. And uh, it was great uh, getting to know a guy I already know. Uh, okay. getting, getting to know you a little bit more. And uh, thank you for, for opening up. And if you're out there and you think you're alone, uh, you're not. You are not alone. I think I'm going to send you guys off with a uh, an excerpt from uh, survey responder number 640 uh, to the question, if there is a God, what are some of the things you would say to God? He said, pretty good job overall. Next time, try to make people a little more compassionate and small batch whiskey a little cheaper. I can't disagree with that one. Also, interesting uh, to the question, do you have any comments or suggestions to make the show better? He wrote, I've only heard a few early episodes, so I'm not sure if Paul has gotten more comfortable with podcasting, but I did feel at certain points that he could stand to let his guests talk a bit more freely. It did occasionally feel like he was steering the conversation to reach conclusions he had in mind. Overall, it didn't hurt the quality of the interview, and I'm totally still a fan. I just felt that occasionally Paul was getting in his own way. I think there's a lot of people that would probably agree with you. And uh, you're not the first person who has uh, sent me that email, so I will try to keep that in mind and uh, try to not let that gnaw at the center of my skull as I lay awake tonight staring at the ceiling. I am not alone. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.